This is Life in FM, the Good Shepherd Fargo Moorhead podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Pastor Taylor, your host, and today I'm sitting down with my colleagues, Pastor Mary and Pastor Maggie, as we answer a few of your questions. Yes, today we're hosting a Q&A where you lift up thoughts and questions about the Bible and about faith in your church. I'm excited to see what Pastor Mary and Pastor Maggie bring to the podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. This is Life and FM. One of the joys of being a pastor is that we end up in so many wonderful conversations with people who are trying to figure out faith and life and who they are and who God is and why all of this is important to us. Uh, so over the past uh, chunk of time, we have been gathering questions from our members and we wanted to take a second to discuss what some of those are and see if we can make sense of them or at least wrestle with them for a little bit. So I wanna go first, start, start us off with our first question. This comes from confirmation students. The question was, why doesn't the Bible talk about dinosaurs? <laughs> Which is a fabulous question and one that comes up a lot. I, I, I guess I have two thoughts about this. The first one would be, I think there are two dinosaurs that show up in the Bible, in the book of Job, uh, chapters 40 and 41. The first one they call the behemoth. We're told it eats grass like an ox, has a strong tail like a cedar tree, has limbs of iron, and is of tremendous size. Uh, chapter 41 goes on to describe a leviathan. It's a kind of sea dragon with a double coat of mail for skin and a terrifying mouth full of teeth. We're also told it's so big, even the mightiest are overwhelmed at the sight of it. Um, so I guess my first thought is there are a couple of creatures that kind of sound like dinosaurs in the Bible. But I think uh, my second thought is this. There's a deeper question here about the truth of Scripture. Specifically, how can the earth and scientists give us so much evidence for things like dinosaurs when the Bible, which we often consider the source of all truth, really barely mentions them? And I think what's at stake is a matter of trust. People wonder if they need to choose between science and the Bible or if there's space in their life for both. So I guess here's where I think of it. I am one of those people who finds space for both. I think we say the Bible is true because it communicates truth about God. We say the Bible is inspired by God, and as such, it cannot fail to describe who God is to help us understand how we relate to God. But the Bible isn't necessarily an exhaustive encyclopedia of all knowledge known to man. And those authors were human, inspired to talk about God and their relationship with God, yes, but weren't equipped to talk about things that they had never seen. The Bible barely mentions dinosaurs because the authors didn't know about them. God knew about them, but God writers, God's writers did not. Instead, I think the writers knew about the God that they knew, but nothing else. And on a, on a deeper note, I think the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs because it's not meant to. The Bible is true about religion, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the church, evil, hardship. The Bible is true in that it points us to Jesus, but the Bible is not an exhaustive source of all knowledge. As such, it might not be 100% on things like science or geography or history or mathematics. With this in mind, I think we can trust the Bible is true about God and make space for other information that teaches us about the world. So I think that's where I uh, come at it when we are talking about the Bible and dinosaurs specifically. But Pastor Mary, I think that uh, segues into our next question really nicely. Uh, why do we consider scripture holy? I love this question. And it's a variation of questions that we get from adults and students throughout the year. Sometimes the question sounds like, 
why do we care what the Bible says? Can we trust the Bible? And I think, so it's also similar to the question that you had received, Pastor Maggie. Uh, but why is scripture holy? I started thinking about this question at a lunch and learn that we did recently when Dr. Michael Chan was with us and he works at Concordia College now, but he used to be an Old Testament professor. And he helped our congregation members understand how the Bible was put together and how the Bible is actually a collection of books that were written uh, over a long period of time in many different places. And a lot of these books come from oral traditions before they became Bible books. And the books that finally came to be in our Bible are called the canon of books that, that get included. And so um, when we think about this long winding path that all these Bible books took to become our holy scripture, he asked the question, what makes scripture holy? And for me, my first thought was, I need to look at the church constitution. And so I pulled it up on my phone. Because that's what she does. She and does this all the time. Everyone should have the church constitution on their phone. And it says this in the first chapter of our church constitution. It talks about what we believe and what the purpose of the church is. It says this congregation accepts the canonical scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the inspired word of God and the authoritative source and norm of its proclamation, faith, and life. So we believe scripture is inspired by God and authoritative as a guide for us. And then a few paragraphs later, our church constitution says that scripture announces God's revelation centering in Jesus Christ. So scripture is holy because it reveals Christ to us. And that's so freeing because then we don't have to get caught up in debates over is everything, um, do we have to agree with everything in scripture? It, do you have to agree with a seven day creation story? Do you have to wonder about dinosaurs? Actually, you can wonder about dinosaurs all you want, but you don't have to get hung up there or if there are typos in scripture because the point is not perfection, but revelation. So the big question is, do we meet Jesus in scripture? And does the Jesus we meet bring healing to us and to the world? And the one Bible verse that I really enjoy is in John's gospel. His gospel is the only one that explains why the book was written. And so John says he wrote this book um, for this reason. It says towards the end, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have a life in his name. So that's why we read scripture, to encounter Jesus. I love that idea that scripture is meant to point us to Jesus and that's what makes it holy. And it's just a, a really beautiful reminder that that's the core of, of, of who we are and what defines us. Um, I think another place that where people come to uh, encounter Jesus is at church, which is why so many people come to church either in person or continue to worship online. Uh, but Pastor Taylor, if I can ask, ask this one to you, uh, someone also asked, um, if church is important to me, but what do I do when my family doesn't want to come to church with me? It's a good question. And honestly, I think it's one that many of us probably wrestle with uh, to some extent, because 
so much of our uh, faith formation takes place uh, at various times throughout life. And so if we want to focus in, especially on those in the first third of life, um, we've got kids that are in church school, uh, usually for the program year, school year, so for like nine months. Uh, and then oftentimes we don't see them uh, for three months because folks are maybe reprioritizing uh, the things that they can do. It's not that church isn't important, but all of a sudden, you know, it's no longer seven months of winter and we can actually be outside in creation and maybe we go to the lake or do whatever we do on the weekends and, oh shoot, we didn't make it to church this week. Um, some of them pivot to online. Maybe it's the podcast, maybe it's uh, worshiping with us on YouTube or Facebook. Whatever it might be, uh, we're finding ways to still be a part of the church and connect. Um, I want to say that this question isn't necessarily speaking to the reprioritizing, uh, to where it gets bumped for a season. It seems to be more along the lines of when it's no longer is of importance. Um, and oftentimes I think, you know, there are people who are confirmed and we don't see them for a few years, maybe until graduation Sunday. Um, but with that then, we hope to continue to plant seeds so that at some point down the line, uh, in highs or lows or somewhere in between, they're gonna have a connection to somebody at the church, whether it be a staff member, hopefully many more than that, uh, member-wise, that, that there's a lifeline. Um, one of the things that I see often uh, is, is parents struggling to talk about uh, faith with their teenagers or into college. And, all of a sudden people come back and there's different ideas. There's uh, not the desire to go to church anymore. Uh, sometimes it's families that uh, so much of their lives have been uh, involved here and then all of a sudden it's me going, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. What's going on there? Um, the, the curiosity I have is like, what is going on in each person's life that makes it uh, to the point where they, they don't find church to be uh, something that they want to do anymore? It's not really a one-size-fits-all answer, uh, but I think that knowing exactly what is behind it, is it is it something that's happened to the person? Is it a struggle that they're having? Is it just that they're busy? Uh, we shouldn't jump to conclusions. We should reach out and care. Um, one of the things that I know we shouldn't do uh, is to pass judgment, is to be angry, to be frustrated, uh, because I know that especially if we're a parent and our kids or our spouse uh, are no longer wanting to come walk alongside us. Faith is deeply personal and important to us. And so that can feel like an attack. It can feel like it's it's something that's hurtful, even though that's not what they're intending to do. They're just exercising their ability to be human and fill their mm -hmm. schedules with other things. Um, and so I want to challenge us that if we find ourselves in that circumstance where we no longer have uh, a loved one, a friend of ours maybe, uh, that is attending church, don't come at them with condemnation or judgment, but instead do like the old uh, hymn. They'll know that we are Christians by our love. Keep loving on them. Keep being present for them, asking them questions, encouraging them. Keep the lifeline there uh, and, and remind them uh, that they're loved. You don't have to, you know, make it over uh, overly biblical, if you will. Uh, just let them know that you care about them. Maybe even share that you're praying for them and then actually do it. Pray for them uh, and continue to model what the Christian life looks like. It's connecting with God and each other. Uh, connect with other people that are going to help fill, maybe fill the void for this season and continue to lift up those prayers uh, that folks may return. Uh, we know that throughout the scriptures, there's stories like the prodigal son that's welcomed back into the fold without any question. There's stories like the lost sheep uh, where Jesus seeks after the one, leaving the 99 to do so. 
And we know that the Spirit continues to accompany all of us in all of our seasons of life. So give God thanks. I continue to pray to God uh, that everybody will know his love. That's a really beautiful pastoral response. And even the reminder to remember just to uh, approach people with love and care, um, especially when what is important to us seems not to be important to someone else and our response tends to be fear. Um, just to just to remember that they're still children of God. Um, yeah. I think that that's part of the struggle is mm -hmm. that we, we've, we feel attacked because it's something that is deeply personal to us. We've yeah. invested our mm -hmm. time, our talents, our treasures. We've, we have committed to being uh, mm -hmm. places, maybe even sacrificing to, you know, to send our kid to, to Bible camp or on mm -hmm. a mission trip. And now what do you mean you're not going to come to worship? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean I'm going to have to drag you out of bed to get you there on Christmas or Easter mm -hmm. even? Like, those are real struggles. And I think there's a lot of people too where, you know, maybe it's a spouse or partner that they just don't share the same level mm -hmm. of faith or mm -hmm. interest. Uh, and it goes both directions. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that that can be, that can be difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we let it overwhelm us, if we let it be the thing, um, that's going to complicate the rest of our lives as well. But mm -hmm. if we're able instead um, just to continue to focus on our own faith um, and, and the way that we are living it out and sharing it with other people, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that that's going to help us, you know, not, not just be a pastoral response for me, but to, and that would be difficult enough for mm -hmm. me to do in general. But I think for all of us, just to really focus in on that love uh, and, and be reminded of maybe the times in our life where we've screwed up or we've, you know, felt far, far away from God. Mm -hmm. um, and to be reminded that, hey, it happened to me, uh, you know, and, mm -hmm. and God continued to love me in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep that prayer uh, and I'm going to keep trying to model it for, for my loved ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it happens as pastors all the time, people who we've seen who have been really, really close and engaged all of a sudden disappear for a season and we aren't entirely sure why. So it's a good reminder that uh, our job is not to save people. That's Jesus's job. Our job is to continue to communicate the good news of God's love and God's care in whatever season of life people may find themselves in. Uh, so, Pastor Mary, we've been talking about church and uh, Bible and all these things that are important to us. Every once in a while, there's a language thing that uh, kind of comes up and confuses us. So, clarification question. Can you clarify for us the difference between capital campaign and general fund? I love this. Okay, we just talked about people being driven away from church or stepping back from church. And now this question is essentially about money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know that a common complaint people have is churches are always talking about money. Uh, and the reason we do that is because we need it. And the reason we need it is because we have a big mission. Mm -hmm. um, and we're accountable to, to, the, to the offering we receive to talk about how we're actually using this as a resource to do God's work out into the world. Mm -hmm. And it, it just humbles me, the fact that we are completely run by people voluntarily sharing their financial resources. We're 100% funded by people choosing to share some of their income with the church. And that's a beautiful thing. And I don't think we should be ashamed about the big mission that we have. So this question was about the difference between the capital campaign and the general fund. Because in our bulletin, sometimes we talk about our, our mission budget and how we're doing, and that's the general fund. And then there's another set of numbers with the on-mission capital campaign. Um, so first, our general fund, or that mission budget, 
That's all the offerings that we receive on the weekly basis that funds and fuels our base of operations that pays for the mortgage and maintenance of this building that we are um, having our, our base of operations in. Then it also funds our staff members. We've got a lot of things going on in our community and for all ages, for kids, for adults, for families, for single people. Um, we try to be the church inside the church and out in the community in service projects. And all those things that we do together as Christians, those things don't run on magic. They need leadership. Mm. So we have staff members dedicated to leading those ministries. We have resources that we share with the community. And we also want to make sure that the offering we receive at Good Shepherd isn't just used to help Good Shepherd. So we commit to at least 10% of everything we receive, we give to mission partners who depend on us. And one example I like to bring up is Churches United for the Homeless. Mm -hmm. They're one of our main mission partners, and they depend on churches in the area for their funding to do the important work they do. Um, we do some tangible things throughout the year. We collect diapers or towels. We um, put together blessing bags for people that we see on the corner who um, have nowhere else to go. But yet the money we give to Churches United is vitally important. It funds the shelter nurses who specialize in caring for people who have um, a lot of conditions because of their homelessness, um, health conditions that are exacerbated by not having a home or a stable um, diet. Uh, there's caseworkers, social workers, uh, shelter workers who are the boots on the ground caring for people who don't have anywhere else to turn in this community. And Churches United really depends on us and other churches to help meet that need so that we can have this partnership together. So that's the general fund. It funds the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly ministry that we all do together so we can live into our mission of gathering and growing and going as Jesus followers. And then the capital campaign, that is something that is above and beyond. Uh, our capital campaign isn't building a shiny new building. Often capital campaigns have to do with building something. Um, for us, we have a mortgage at our church and it's a little over a million dollars currently. And it is a, it's not an irresponsibly sized mortgage. It's a mortgage that a church our size can responsibly service, but yet it's still there. And if we were to pay down our mortgage faster, we would be able to be freed up to have a greater impact in our community. And so this capital campaign was started last year when we refinanced our mortgage with a new lender and got a better um, interest rate. We thought, let's try to chip away at this faster so that we can be ready as a church to serve God and our community in bigger ways in the future. Um, and we also thought, let's also try to upgrade some of our equipment in the sanctuary because our current building is is 15 years old and the technology we use keeps improving and some of the things we have are outdated 15 so, years ago america online was what we were using well exactly you've got mail so <laughs> the thing is with our capital campaign it's above and beyond our hope is that everyone no matter what level they give could contribute something to our general fund because we need one another and we when we give, we recognize that God isn't just for me, but God also loves all these other people too. 
But the capital campaign is, I even want to do a step above that and help pay down our mortgage faster, help improve our technology so that we are able to serve God in bigger ways, more impactful ways in this community for years to come. So I'm not ashamed to ask for 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 the support because we're doing beautiful things together and everyone is vitally important. So if someone wanted to find out more about how they could uh, join the team to be part of either supporting the general fund, which does our ministry in the community, or the capital campaign, which is a specific cause that will eventually help us do more, even more than we already do, where would they go to, to join? You could talk to me or you could talk to any council member. Um, or you could look on our website because we have the ways to give. And one of the best ways to give is setting up an ongoing gift, a monthly gift that you, similar to other things that you commit to monthly, um, because that helps us know like, hey, you're being accountable to this community. You're saying this is a place that I want to continue to grow in my faith. This is a place that I know will challenge me. This is a place that will put service opportunities in front of me. This is a place where I meet Jesus, and Excellent. it's beautiful. So go to our website, knowthegoodshepherd.org slash giving, where you can do that one-time gift or set up a reoccurring one. And you can have all that money go to worship and mission. Ooh. <laughs> Is that your area, Pastor Oh, that's Taylor? my area. Oh. It can go anywhere you want. <laughs> have it go to the general fund. Uh, please know in whatever way you contribute, we're glad that we, we're glad to have you on the team. Yeah, and actually, if you have your cell phone, uh, you can do it right now. Uh, text dollar amount to the number 84321 mm -hmm. that helps support ministries just like this podcast uh, so just so you're aware if this is something that feeds you uh, maybe consider making a gift to make sure that we keep doing it strong so sometimes when we're talking about money people think that money is kind of an expression of who they are that the places that they spend are, are, are little things that are important to them or big things that are important to them but sometimes too we have questions about who exactly are we? And is there a specific thing we are supposed to be? So Pastor Taylor, next question goes over to you. Uh, and all of this is tied together. What is God's will? And does God's will determine my purpose in life? Well, and as we've been talking about money, I think part of our struggle uh, at times is to also view our success uh, as maybe God-given. Uh, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, that's how we view our, our relationship with God. And, and that can be kind of detrimental because most of us don't have that much money in, in, the, in the grand <laughs> scheme of wealth. Uh, certainly in this country, we have a ton of resources and, and uh, ability to usually earn a, a fair wage and, and to do all those things uh, that we're incredibly grateful for. But um, we might view our neighbor who has more toys, has a bigger house, uh, more resources and say, oh, well, they'll take care of it. Um, and so that, I think that is the, the good reminder for us uh, in general that I'm not sure that that's really how it all works out. I think we all have access to, to things and we're able to share it. Um, to answer that question, though, uh, I, I think part of it is because we have a kind of a, a muffled idea of what it is that God has planned for us to begin with. And I want to start off by reading part of Paul's letter to the Romans where he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So this might be a scripture verse that you are familiar with. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, but in there it says that we would be able to discern, that we'd be able to know and understand what the will of God is for us. And when we hear that, I think that we look at it pretty individually, uh, as though God might have a step-by-step -step map and plan for Taylor, for Mary, for Maggie. And a lot of people believe this, and, and I don't think that it's not true, but I don't think that it is 100% the way that we understand it. Um, this letter helps to clarify me that the will of God isn't necessarily a step-by-step -step plan for me, but instead is the plan for all of humanity. That with God's help, we would come before God as faithfully as possible. That's outlined in Paul's letter. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. Uh, it was mentioned earlier. Remember why Jesus came to earth to begin with. That salvation doesn't come through us, but through him. With Jesus as our guide, then we're actually given the path forward. And when given the opportunity to sin, uh, to follow in this, honestly, I usually end up sinning. I struggle. I shift away from maybe what God's plan is for Taylor. And maybe Mary and Meggie would say, yeah, even mm -hmm. as pastors, we, we continue to live into this. I think that we then would be messing up God's plan for us because the step-by-step -step direction for Taylor, I've, I have screwed up and, and gone off course so many times. But I think we actually have to shift our understanding of what it is for God to have a plan for us. I think God's plan for us is that we would faithfully live into uh, his call to love God and love each other. Uh, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves is, is key for me as, as people of faith. And so that's what God's plan is for us. And, and we see in Paul's letter there that Jesus is asking, uh, we're, we're being told to follow Jesus and to, uh, to share that boldly with others. Uh, it's less about the way that you follow and instead the fact that you're following to begin with. Uh, but I'll come back again to that question of, you know, but doesn't God kind of map out our steps? Uh, part of this, I think, too, is from Jeremiah, where we hear the words, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, does this mean that everything's mapped out? I, I don't think so. But I think that part of the reality is that if we are seeking after God in all that we do, uh, that with Jesus' help, uh, the, the Spirit accompanying us, Jesus coming to earth and showing us the way and offering us forgiveness, that if we can continue to seek out our, our God in, in the daily, that that's actually what God's plan is for us. It's when we kind of deviate from the plan that we experience brokenness, where we feel as though life isn't fair, as we, when we feel as though God isn't present for us. It's not because God's not present, it's because we feel that way. We usually have put ourselves into that situation. So. For me, uh, God in a nutshell, when, when having a plan for us, is that we would worship, that we would be connecting, that we would be living out that love and, and sharing our faith for others. I think I had it explained to me once, God's will, love God and love your neighbor. And so is there a specific... It doesn't matter what job you have? What? Or how much money matter. you make? <laughs> or, who you, or who you marry or, or which house you live in? I, Sometimes it feels like God's will is very specific, and I've talked to people for whom that's been the case, and they felt like God had a very specific thing for them. And other people felt like there was a whole slew of things that might have fit within the realm of love God and love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the lens through which we filter, which I, I think is something I want to keep in mind as we enter this last question. So uh, question number six in our time together was, uh, my life feels so crazy sometimes. What are ways I can stay connected when life feels really busy? 
And I think we've already mentioned at least once in the course of this podcast that there are sometimes just seasons of life where it is really, really hard to to connect or to slow down, to make space, to to feel like you're consciously loving God and loving others. Um, I was visiting with someone the other day. Uh, Of course, as we're recording this, it's the month of May, uh, which is a busy season, and this person was a teacher. Um, and And as we were beginning our conversation, they just paused and exhaled a big breath. Oh, I can't wait for the day that it feels like I'm not just running from thing to thing to thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think the struggle is real. And even if it's even if our life is full of all things that we chose that we love, or sometimes whether life is filled with things we didn't choose and we don't love, the struggle is real and it happens. Um, so I think you know this. Uh, there are many ways that you can stay connected. Primarily, we hope that you stay connected to the God who loves you. Uh, so you can always do this on your own through prayer and reading scripture. If you are an online person, being that you're listening on a podcast, I would assume you are. Um, but you can always keep listening and finding podcasts or search for a good playlist on Spotify or find resources on YouTube or email devotionals that can help you stay connected and growing in faith. Of course, if you are someone who likes paper resources, too, uh, we have devotional booklets at the church. I'm sure you'd be able to find one, too. If you're looking for a recommendation on a study Bible or a book to read, we'd be happy to give you one. Uh, Of course, you can always connect with God with a larger group. You can worship here with us in person or you can worship online. Uh, There are events happening throughout the summer, both part of our church and in our community. There are studies that happen regularly. I I think here's where I, I hope you'll remember. It's maybe not so much how you connect as be sure that you connect and in everything that you do remember that God loves you and from there you're meant to call love your neighbor and so there's a lot of things that you can do within that that will accomplish that goal here's a a favorite way for me especially on those moments where it feels like you're running from thing to thing to thing and have no time even to think here's a favorite way to connect with God take a deep breath in and as you exhale remember God loves you that's it. There are different seasons of life and sometimes all we have time for is a catch breath where we just breathe in and breathe out and remember God loves us. If you want, you can say thank you at the end. That is a full sentence and a beautiful prayer to God. Um, so I hope that you take all of these things with you. Know that God loves you and will always be encouraging you to connect in every season of life. The good ones, the bad ones, the busy ones, and the slow ones. So I want to thank you for taking time to listen to us today. This has been our the questions that we wanted to unpack today. If you have questions, reach out, ask them. We love wrestling with questions of faith and would love to hear about the topics that are on your mind. So until, until then, take care. And if you have any complaints, you can email Pastor Mary at ktgs.org. <laughs> have a great day, everybody. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Check back weekly for new content. And if you'd like to support this important ministry of Good Shepherd, you can go to our website, knowthegoodshepherd.org slash giving for a one-time or recurring gift, or you can text a dollar amount to the number 84321. Thanks for being a part of the community here at Good Shepherd. This is Life in FM.